Better Than Dead. It's a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Megan. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. And today we are going to be talking about Little Women, Louisa May Alcott's 1868 and 1869 novel about four girls growing up to be extremely nice. Meg, Joe, Beth, and Amy are in hotness order. Meg is a 10. Yeah, she is. Uh, Amy is a (laughs) 9. Beth would be an 8 if she were not dead from page one, basically. (laughs) And Joe is a solid 7, but... Because she's so tall, she's a New England eight. She's also coolness eleven. In, she's cool, particularly in the relative coolness eleven novel, yeah, for sure. You don't want to be any of these other sisters. You don't want to lose that BuzzFeed quiz. Uh, so, guys, why do we want to read Little Women? Well, I'll tell you, why I want to read Little Women because Little Women fucking rules. I love it. I was also totally obsessed with it as a child and watched the 90s movie a billion times. Also read a series of bizarre spinoffs that were like fanfic about each one of the girls. And the best one was about Beth. Beth goes with her parents to visit the big city, NYC, and she meets Abraham Lincoln there. (laughs) Of course, he lives in New York. (laughs) Yeah, sure, why not? And then she goes back to school and is like, listen, everyone, I fucking met Abraham Lincoln. How cool is that? (laughs) And they are all like, no fucking way. You are so shy. You never say shit. There's no way that you you met Abraham Lincoln. I'm sad. Like, why doesn't she meet Robert Todd Lincoln? You know, like he's much more age appropriate. <laughs> I- I'll I'll write to the author. Okay. I- I'm sure she's still cranking these puppies out. Yeah, mm. probably. Okay, but twist. Then, so nobody believes her. But then Abraham Lincoln shows up at the school and is like, "Hello, Beth. We definitely know each other." <laughs> oh man. Yeah, it fucking rocked. Uh, Yeah, and so I also read Little Women, not that book again, in college. And for me, this book just really holds up in every way. And what I mean by that is I had a full tilt emotional meltdown reading it. So there's one moment that I'm sure we'll talk extensively about where Beth, who is the shy dying one who met Abraham Lincoln, gets a piano from her rich neighbor who is like a really nice guy, but he just seems mean because he has big eyebrows. <laughs> and he's old. True. Too. Yeah, and he's, he's old. old. Yeah. But he's a sweetie Petey. And she gets a piano from him. And it's extremely touching because it turns out that he had a daughter who looks just like Beth who died. And so I cried so much that by the end of it, my eyeballs had fallen out and I was a California raisin. There was no liquid in my body. (laughs) And I will say that if either of you dare to make fun of me for this, I will fart into your mouth, (laughs) both literally and in a spiritual sense. And I will not make fun of you for that because I also cried more times than I care to admit at this fucking stupid ass book. (laughs) (laughs) I like, I know that I have to like henry james all over this by saying like stop being such girls <laughs> like uh, the, it, don't commence read- fart. i hope you felt it in your soul <laughs> <laughs> like you can't read these girl novels and girly girl up your lives and 
<laughs> it makes I'm you s- dumb and have fantasies that are ill-suited to being a rational human. Zero zero one zero 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 one. Is that all you understand, robot? <laughs> <laughs> I am like, I'm the boy reader and I feel extremely strange about that. But like, no, I... Yeah, I'm like learning some shit about myself. <laughs> I'm sorry that you lack human emotion, feeling, depth, <laughs> and uh, d- decency. It's just so maudlin. It's like, oh God, I just, I am immune to emotional manipulation. It's called feeling. You should try it sometime. Deep. It's my feelings verge far more to misanthropy than this book. Well, I think that that's allows. a mask. I think that that's, I think you're masking something. And so explore that. I just, so weepy. So much dying of nice in this book. Daddy went to the war and he got sick. Uh, Okay, sorry. It's a civil war! (laughs) (laughs) Well, then why didn't he die heroically? You're just mad. Okay, you were like, oh, yes, World War I was very serious. But just because it's (laughs) in the 19th century, you can't can't have any feeling about it? I am sad because, you know, in post-World War II, there's all this, like, amazing proletarian English literature about, like – tough guys trying to like make it and all the people who are sad after the civil war are like inbred southern pieces of shit are you kidding me you should start a separate podcast where you just say bad opinions to yourself (laughs) (laughs) where i have bad opinions about uh, there are no women in my dissertation (laughs) megan's bad opinion corner (laughs) About no feelings and also movies and books where nothing happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's get right. Prepare yourself. You better wear f- flame retardant <laughs> gear when we read Ulysses because I'm going to roast your <laughs> ass for six hours. There's fucking there's no fishing in this book. None. <laughs> there is fishing in the book. Wait, really? Don't they go fishing? oh well they go to that little (laughs) island thing somebody fishes but it's like one of the dudes right yeah oh so it only so so it didn't so it didn't happen if if it wasn't (sighs) it's just not very like there's no there's no male bonding over like how many fishes did you catch yeah oh there's no there's no race cars and dicks in this one so (laughs) i don't like it and queer anxiety between homo so- the homosocial. Well, I'm heated, so. <laughs> I know. I'm looking forward to your being heated. So the truth <laughs> of this is, though, that I did love it as a kid. And I think that that's like, I'm astonished that this has lasted so long as a part of girl culture. Because I think like almost every woman I know read this as a kid. Like this is really commonly read. And they make a movie of it every 15 years. Yeah. Like I remember watching both the same, the 90s one, but also the Catherine Hepburn one when I was a kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I love Catherine Hepburn and she also is like tall and has a certain like tough, broad sort of quality. And she does. I <laughs> obviously like I liked it less this time. <laughs> but initially I was like, I've just lost my taste for sentimental literature, which duh. But like, Another way that I could look at it if I were being more generous is that like I've just studied and read other genres since then and like I am not thinking about sentimentality and so when I read it I feel like weird. And so <laughs> and it's also like a feature of girls literature. It's just like it's a thing and that is fine. 
Um, but I'm an adult man now. And so I no longer believe in feeling. Um, <laughs> but I love Joe with a fierce and fiery passion that few literary characters capture. She's like tough and she loves her sisters and that makes me very happy. But I think this book also allows us to talk about marriage and class in a very different way than like Pride and Prejudice did. I think there's a ton of reasons for that. I'm interested in why this book is not a marriage plot, even though they all end they all end up married in the end, but it's like not the same thing. So I'm just interested in like marriageability and what the terms are for that as sort of like a class question. Meg, I think when you say that it, it makes you feel weird, I, I think what that is, is your body's reacting to wanting to cry at all these deeply moving, oh stupid scenes. <laughs> but, but no, I've actually, what this has taught me as uh, I, I actually am like the uh, a very recognizable type from 18th century sentimental fiction, which is the, the crusty <laughs> misanthropic squire with a heart of gold. <laughs> yes, yeah, you, you're a figure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I have seen one of the movies. Yeah, like a long time ago when we were like kind of planning out, we were going to read this. I was like, oh yeah, I saw the movie, and Meg, it's like which one? And I'm like, what? Because like, I'm talking about the '94 so one many. Uh, with with Window to Rider, yeah, uh, and, and Susan Sarandon. But it's it's one of those novels that I like always been meaning to read, both because it, it's such you know a huge um, 19th century American cultural phenomenon, and I I knew that it has tendrils in a lot of historical and literary discourses that I, I'm really interested in. Um, you know, aside from the, the the kind of mawkish sentimentality, it is definitely super bougie in its outlook, and I think infuriatingly so at times. It's also like, and I, can, I know we'll talk about this, but it's like, wait, this the Civil War is happening. Where is the Civil War? And, and it is like, so, you know, Papa March is away, like, as a chaplain of the Union Army, but I kind of feel like it's like, the, you know, the, the, that cataclysmic event is sort of like happening at the margins of this, um, although I'm fully uh, prepared to be convinced that it's actually more, much more central than, than it than I took it to be. And, you know, there are tons of super smart feminist readings of this book. Um, and, and I do think, like, despite the ways we might roll our eyes at parts of it, it, it is really forward thinking um, at times and also not forward thinking at other times. And, and yeah, I like I am fascinated by the sentimental novel. Uh, it is a genre that looks like super weird to modern readers. But, you know, it has, uh, so it, it, you know, it, the sentimental novel is in Britain, like an 18th century form, kind of has its heyday in America in the 19th century. And there's a lot of like really kind of fucked up and weird and interesting philosophical conversations behind that, like the, the philosophy of feeling. Um, and also like, you know, attempts to kind of found a politics on that. You know, a sentimental, the sentimental novel is so influential to like abolitionism, uh, certainly. Um, and there, and there are a lot of critiques about like the limits of that, like, you know, ha- having a feeling does not equate to like political action. But at the same time, I actually do think like it, there is something or there can be something really sort of generative about uh, about the, the production of feeling. So, yeah, I mean, I it, I, I liked this book. Uh, it's really weird, but I did like it. <laughs> I like I really did love this book. Like I have an attachment to it. I just I like uh, it's the it's the call to feeling that I find icky. Well, I apologize. On behalf of Louisa May Alcott, who has authorized me to speak for her, I apologize <laughs> for the fact that you are too cool. Uh, well. Okay, so today we are talking about childhood, youth, and teenageness. In this, we're talking about religious novels and where that tradition comes from. We're talking about 
Joe and her gender construction. We're talking about the Civil War and we're talking about class. Okay, so Katie, will you give us the summary of this book and our our lovely sentimental March sisters? I would be delighted. So we have our wonderful, beautiful March sisters. And what's going on in this book basically is that their mom, Marmy, is trying to teach them not to be assholes and dipshits <laughs> by encouraging them to reenact this 17th century allegory by John Bunyan called Pilgrim's Progress. So there'll be more on that later. But they are poor, but not super poor because their very nice dad who went into the Union Army, in spite of the fact that he is too old technically, uh, gave all his money to like some dumb fail son he was friends with, <laughs> and now they don't have any money. <laughs> so that sucks. But they have this really nice neighbor named Lori, who's about the girl's age, who is a very rich, fancy lad who lives with his grandfather, who has the eyebrows, because he had an Italian mom who died because she loved tickling the ivories. <laughs> if you know what I mean. And actually, I just mean playing the piano. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So everybody I was like, that. man, I missed something good. <laughs> no. Uh, so here's what happens to all of the wonderful March sisters. And I'm going to give that to you in hotness order. So, <laughs> so first comes Meg. Meg is pretty. She has shiny hair. And she has some rich friends. Uh, so that's good. What's bad is she used to be a governess to some shithead children due to poorness. One time, though, she's hanging out with these rich friends and she goes to a party and she drinks, like, two glasses of champagne and, uh, like, puts her tits out a little. They put her in a dress. Just a little. It's, like, <laughs> not tiny even... Yeah. Because her shoulder's bare. Just, like, basically. It. Yes. <laughs> yes. The, that's 19th century titties. Um, <laughs> right. And so the neighbor, the, the fancy lad neighbor, sees her at this party... And he gets a boner from it and acts like a giant pee pants, like she did something wrong. (laughs) So she then confesses to her mother and learns a great lesson about being a lady. Keeping your boobies in your garments. Yes. And she's totally reformed and she never does anything wrong again the rest of her life. (laughs) (laughs) She also gets married to Laurie's tutor, who is this annoying Ichabod Crane type school teacher. The worst. Who is extremely sad and horny for her. And he has the quality of having eyeballs, which is like his handsomeness characterization. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. He has he has eyes and knows German, so there you go. There you go. <laughs> then we have Amy. She is a little psycho and a bitch, uh, which you know from the beginning because she's blonde. She has fourth sister sy- syndrome. Yes, in a bad way. In a bad way. She is the youngest, you know, so yes, she does have that syndrome. Uh, And she loves drawing, mispronouncing words, and sucking on limes. (laughs) Pickled limes. Pickled limes. Uh, She's the dumbest one. And she does the worst thing that happens in this book, which is she burns Joe's manuscript that she was working on for years, and there's no other copy of yes. it. And Joe doesn't murder her, and everyone's like, Joe, why were you so mad? <laughs> <laughs> well, I disagree with that characterization. I'm, <laughs> very com- I'm combative today. did kind of want to cry at that point out of, like, frustration. Yeah. Horrible. 
atrocious. So Amy, in a stunning twist in this novel, marries the rich neighbor Lori. Because Lori for years has been frolicking about it, doing various gentlemanly tricks and nipple twisting with Joe (laughs) the entire book. Yeah. And and this happens because she like ran into him in Europe where she went with her weird old rich aunt who is a cunt with a heart of gold, (laughs) kind of. Sort of, yeah. Amy negs Lori about being lazy and he falls in love with her, which is the classic thing. (laughs) They bond over their sadness about Beth dying. Yes. Yes. Uh, Yes. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, yeah. (laughs) Not at all a spoiler alert. I thought we just like barged in with spoilers. Because Katie's about to tell us about Beth Diet. It's just, yeah. yeah. (laughs) I think, yeah, that's the always already known fact. Yes. Because Beth is basically like she is dead as hell from page one. Yeah. She spends entire novel in dark corners, just muttering about how she can't wait to get to heaven. Yeah. And I would contend that not Amy, but Beth is the biggest psycho of them Mm. all. She has this collection of busted ass haunted dolls that she loves because they are so fucked up. Mm -hmm. My theory is that she ripped all their arms and legs off and then whispered to them, I do this because I love you. Yeah, she's yeah, Kathy Bates for misery is exactly. (laughs) Yes, she miseries a bunch of dolls. Um, she also has a pet canary, which she starves to death, quote unquote, accidentally. Yeah. But I am absolutely not convinced. Yeah. No, it's not. <clears throat> I mean, it's to me, it's like my relationship to a recent RIP succulent in my house that I was like, I'm going to overwater you and just watch. <laughs> we we hardly knew ye. We hardly <laughs> knew ye. Um, she dies actually very late in the book. Which is which is sort of strange um, because she took care of this poor baby who had scarlet fever and she was weakened by it and then she died. So R.I.P. Beth. She dies on a big pile of broken dollies and kittens and <clears throat> unfinished sewing projects. Uh, also, am, am I wrong yeah. that she basically dies of pale? Right. Like, I think she. I think she dies of nice. Yeah. <laughs> Except she's she a, does. She's yeah. I, I would have agreed with that before Katie reminded us of some very <laughs> troubling. Yeah, it's like I was gonna like she's she's like Mary Bennett only quiet. No, she's Mary Bennett only psycho is who she is. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> but Katie loves her problems. getting a big big piano. Yeah, yeah, I found it touching. Yeah. It was. It I was think sad. she dies of nice, and also like to challenge Joe. I, I don't know. I feel like it also is like, Joe, you have to sort of like account for this pain. <laughs> yes. Yeah. She does it. Yeah. She does it to own her sister. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't die to own one of my sisters, but I would do a lot of fucked up. Things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So, yeah. Uh, then, of course, we have Joe, who I'm sure we'll talk a lot about. Oh, yeah. She's our cool, boyish, tall heroine. She loves to read and write plays and trashy stories for newspapers. And she's a pet rat, which is cool. (laughs) Revolting. (laughs) Oh, fuck. I forgot. You don't like rats. I don't. So if she were a modern day person, she would be full out LARPing with reckless abandon Uh and at academic Shakespeare conferences in just like a full ass Hamlet outfit with a skull. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
she is cool and much like some other characters we've encountered, not like other girls. She marries a semi-whack German professor guy named Smokey the Bear. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, and her aunt, uh, her old crotchety aunt who took Amy to Europe, leaves her Plumfield, which is her estate. And she then turns that into a school for goody good boys, which leads into our sequel, Little Men, which we won't talk about. Because it's not nearly so interesting oh it's totally interesting actually <laughs> oh you know um, what i i just haven't read it since i was a kid it was like just not a sequel that i got into right well it's sick and it's sick and twisted okay but as, but as far as little women the end yeah yeah it well, is lo- like i was actually surprised by how long this book is <laughs> like it's long as fuck. I, I skimmed quite a bit, but it w- I've read it so many times I didn't feel too guilty about it. It's it's eminently skimmable. It really is. Yes. It's not – I mean, also, like, it's – I think something that I really love about it is that the chapters are often really contained. Mm-hmm. So, like, they're – I think – okay, now I'm going to betray myself. Like, utterly <laughs> charming secret society where they pretend to be, like – male authors as a contained chapter in the first half is like really wonderful oh yeah right yeah they're they're, uh which is the they're doing the pickwick papers right yes yes they are yeah Yeah. no it is it is well it's yeah it is interesting it's like composed of all these vignettes um which you're right meg they're all they are super self-contained but like i'm sorry about that noise my dogs are Wrestling, oh, so I apologize. Yeah. I, I locked my idiot cats out of the room. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, uh, no, it, they are like super self-contained, but it's like one of the reasons it's so skimmable is you kind of learn almost everything you need to know about these characters in the first couple chapters, yeah. And then yeah. it's like 100%. each each chapter is just a further illustration in a slightly different context of these character traits. Yes. Um, yeah, totally true. And like one of, you know, it's like Meg wants jewelry, but she feels bad about it. But Amy wants jewelry and she doesn't is like a very revealing characterization. I mean, I will like, I, I, yeah, Amy is a psycho. Amy is like, yeah. And, and, and like Joe should have killed her when she burned her book. But I will say like. <laughs> so like, infuriating. Like Amy might be my, like, my second favorite, like far after Joe. But just because she's kind of like, yeah, whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we're Pilgrim's Progress, derp, derp, derp. It's like, no, I want nice shit. That's just what I'm going to do. You're not going to make me feel bad about that. And, you know, I mean, I kind of admire the, um, just owning the vice you know <laughs> but i think i just get so mad at her for sucking up to rich people yes no i mean it, it she is legitimately disgusting but i just i don't know it's like she's kind of like yeah i i just like that she she's not she doesn't want to just be with it like this kind of austere protestant out world outlook i mean that i think is like totally fair I, it's, it's just the kissing up to rich people that i find like yeah it's great it's super like it's super quality. fucking gross yeah it's super gross and also, like I am, I am prejudiced against the blonde, and I think that I'll just own that. Uh, I have this novel is true. This version, no, it very much is. It also has like anti-blonde feeling. It does. So I feel like you're you're coming around already. Again, it's like I mostly am doing this to make fun of both of you for being girls. <laughs> Well, if you think that's an insult, then you need to examine yourself. I'm aware that I have some self-examination to do about that. (laughs) You know, I'm just saying. Um, So 
Is it right, Katie, to say that you're going to give us like a version of context that's another one of our sort of like genre explorations? Uh, yes. So what I want to try to do is account for some of the strangeness of this novel, both for modern readers and for non-religious readers. There is a book called The Word and Its Witness by Gregory Jackson, and he describes this as a classic homiletic novel. And what, what that, that means, means. <laughs> so I'm gonna um, d- hold on to your hold on to your hat, lady, because I'm about to tell you. Um, so a homily is uh, sort of you can understand it as a sermon, but not one that's heavy on doctrine, but more like one that's sort of teaching you a little bit more amorphously. It's giving you a little bit more of an amorphous spiritual education, mm. and so. This novel is doing that in really interesting ways. So it's teaching you about how to be a good Christian. That's like the function and a good person for Alcott. And these things bleed together. And the novel does that as we've mentioned through Pilgrim's Progress, which comes up like a buttload in this book. Mm -hmm. So just throughout the whole thing. So they're playing Pilgrim's Progress. That's like the whole thing they're doing. They're using moments in that in that text, like the Slough of Despond or fighting Apollyon or you know all this different stuff that comes up in that allegory to relate to their lives. Mm-hmm. Just to kind of go back for a second, allegory itself is really important here and uh, boiled down most basically. It just means there's a literal level and a figural level. Mm-hmm. And these things are just super basic. So we don't have stuff like characters. So in Pilgrim's Progress, you have a guy named Christian who is Christian. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like, right. That's it's very literal. Yeah. Um, and he has a wife and that's Christiana. Like we just, you know, <laughs> there's not Yeah. He and did so the not idea- get a John Bunyan did not get an MFA. <laughs> he, he did no. He did not. Um, so the idea is that what you lose in character development, let's say, you make up for in applicability to everyone. Mm-hmm. So you get to, so you get like the everyman. Mm-hmm. And for Christians, that is already baked into everything that they're doing. So the idea is always to try to imitate Christ. That's what living is truly about. And so the physical world is always a kind of shadow show and the real is actually the spiritual. So what we can only see through a glass darkly. So homiletic reading is similar to allegorical reading and then it's always about seeing what the spiritual implication is behind and beneath the material. And this type of thing was super important when you're trying to raise kids for like 19th century Protestants who are trying to figure out how not to fuck their children up. So the idea is we're getting these really popular forms like novels and kids are just like sucking these down. Mm -hmm. So what you want to do is try to figure out how to make these popular literary forms a good education. And so how to simulate experience without doing anything dangerous. So that's part of the reason why Little Women is so nicey-nicey because – and I'm going to like go back to humping John Locke as I do. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, because you get the idea of a Lockean epistemology, and what you don't want to do is let anything in that's going to pollute the senses of the children. So you want to like get them pretty close to danger without them doing anything extremely fucked up. Right. That's sort of why the characters in Little Women they get a little close to doing like naughty shit. Right. It's never anything that bad because if it were anything that bad it would be dangerous for kids to read because they would take it in and that would become part of their reservoir of knowledge so you have to be punished for for hoarding your limes because that's like a minor bad thing but it's also you know ungenerous and attest to the values that we hold dear yeah and so the thing also is that everybody gets punished like instantaneously when they do anything bad in this book Mm -hmm in this kind of supernatural way almost. And so it's like, so you're teaching kids about cause and effect. So do something bad or even think about doing something bad. (laughs) And something real fucked up is about to happen to you. Right. So what changes in the hundred years that elapses between the sort of like much more Puritan spare the rods, boil the child shit and this pedagogical, you know, this is training and not like beat your kid if they fuck up. Right. Yeah. So the the ideas about children were really changing around this time. So colonial people saw kids as being the closest to original sin. Mm-hmm. And so basically like they're little monsters. And colonial people would do stuff like put their kids in these weird contraptions that would make them stand because they felt like crawling was being animal. So all oh these God. things that little kids do. Yeah. <laughs> And so there's like a different, like a gentler kind of way of approaching children because actually they were seen more like being closer to to heaven as opposed to being closer to original sin because the original sin thing was kind of falling out and so was the idea of predestination. Right. Yeah, no, that, and, that, and like I guess that is what like the 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 sort of Christian vaguely christian world and and i don't mean vague in a like um not that serious sense but more that it's like part of the atmosphere rather than like super doctrinal um that is one thing that i noticed that it's like there's very little reference to like like events of the bible or something like that or right. like or like yeah, imposing yeah, yeah. a theology um it, it is it is much more sort of sublimated into a general kind of morality Yes, that that's a super good point. So that ties back into the Pilgrim's Progress thing. Like, why is it that we don't have the Bible that we're learning from, but we have Pilgrim's Progress? Right. Um, and we have Little Women. Right. And the idea is that the allegory helps you figure out how to get from point A mm-hmm. to point Z, mm-hmm. which is going to heaven. Right. And leads you along the way very directly. Right. And yeah. And so, like, the Pilgrim's Progress thing, too, was just like fucking huge and it seems very weird now to read all the stuff about pilgrim's progress but it was so big there were a ton of board games mm. of pilgrim's progress that people would play <laughs> like uh, like all of these sort of sounds, um sounds there's a really awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, God. Pretty, yeah pretty pretty cool uh th- there's another article by the same scholar called a game theory of evangelical fiction and it talks about the pilgrim's progress board games also just like shit like kids play the game of life too it's not oh, yeah. so foreign to like what we're what we do today no not at all and they it's like i don't think they do much of it in this book but it's like the child games of rearing children right like yeah. well except of course that we have t- Beth ripping the limbs off of her baby dolls, which is like <laughs> fucked. But she repairs them too, right? So there's this like, 
oh, I have to, you know, take really good care of Joanna, which is her favorite dolly. Yes. She's 16. I really yeah. feel like we should know no, that yes. all of her relationship to these dolls is kind of freaky. Well, th- that is another thing. And, and actually that like is Katie, as you were talking about the like the pedagogy of children, that is something, and, you know, like I've talked to you guys about this uh, quite a bit before the show. I keep like, wait, but they're teenagers. Like, and there, there's yeah. a way in which um, this novel is like constructing childhood in a way that just feels weird to me. Like it, some of the, th- some of the like pedagogy that is deployed, like feel like, yeah, like Meg at the beginning of the novel is 16. They're 16, 15. I think Amy is like 12 is the youngest. Yeah, that's what I remember. And mm-hmm. yet it talks about them the way that I would probably talk about like a five-year-old. It's, and so I don't know if that's like, I, you know, the novels using slightly older uh, children as a way of like kind of role modeling for younger ones, if it's trying to create a different version of like what the boundaries of childhood are. So that's actually kind of a question I have for you, Katie, is like, it, is it weird at all that like, this is a book about teenagers that's do, that's talking in these terms? Is it okay so- if I like add in something here that's just interesting to me and Katie, you can jump in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the category of the teenager is a 20th century invention. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting because I think that maybe, you know, Katie, correct me, but it's about like the child adult transition moment because there's no liminal case before the 1920s mm. of like you should have some time where you have leisure time and you're not a little kid, but you also get to like have this moment of exploration that doesn't yeah. exist until the 20th century no and it's it's definitely true in like the 18th century like le- in legalistic terms children were thought of essentially as miniature miniature adults like that's just how they were you know described and right so there's two things to kind of think about here one is that it's not the category of the teenager in the way that we might understand it in the 20th century, but there is something going on here with class. So when Meg is hanging out with her rich friends, they say, oh, it's fine you don't have any nice dresses because you're not out yet. You're not courting. You're not doing this thing. Right. And so these young girls, even though they are like, you know, the they are an old of an older age, they have been educated in such a way that they can transition sort of seem they are little women. Like that's the thing is that yeah. that's the aspiration is that they be little women. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what that means is something like being innocent in a way that's appropriate to a child until you are a regular sized woman. Right. Right. A large woman. Large yeah. adult woman. Yeah, as no, now I think of myself as like an employed married person. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and I'm glad I'm glad you brought up the class aspect of it. Of course, like you know that's that's I've always wanted to talk about that. But because and and like so I was asking you like before this like you know just oh well I know like there were there were you know child soldiers in the Union Army and women got married very young and like you actually pointed out to me that that like median marriage age was like substantially like high like older than I thought like into the 20s but like at the same time I know like like poor Farber's daughters like you know my great grandmother for instance were absolutely married by the time they were like 15 or 16 and like yeah there were you know there were definitely like like 11 year old drummer boys in the army even though I think you said that that's not that that was not supposed to happen like yeah so we tend to think about the 19th like stuff that was going on in the 19th century as being like oh kids are like kids are getting married kids are fighting Mm -hmm. in wars kids are doing all this stuff 
on average, they weren't. It doesn't mean that nobody was, but the stuff like, yes, there were 12-year-old drummer boys in the Union Army for sure, but these stories are real outliers. So like the average age of marriage was beyond the mid-20s. The average age of a soldier in the Union Army was like 25, almost 26. Oh man, okay. But when you're talking about the proletariat, I mean like child labor in factories was a real thing. Certainly there were children working in factories. Certainly this was a thing that happened, not to diminish the experience of really poor people, but it was not something that, so it's unusual even though the March sisters are poor, that they are working. Right. Because they sort of have this middle class type background going on here too. Yeah. And they are also working virtuously. So they're working because they want to do something to help the family because their father is in the army. And their jobs are like petty bourgeois middle class jobs, right? Like governess, like, you know, hangs out with old feminine. Yes. They're like legible. Yeah. Like they're not Mm -hmm. they're not going to the textile factory down the <laughs> down the street you know right. to, to run the looms and stuff so given that we were we've been talking about this sort of like let's just continue to talk about age adulthood childhood as markers of social position but also class like okay so katie why do they have to quit school i know this seems weird but like it's common in the 1860s that girls go through whenever they went through 10th grade, 8th grade. Yeah, and it's surprising that the March sisters aren't going to school. So Amy was going to school until her teacher hits her, and then she's pulled out of school. Right. And Beth, uh, the shy dying one, can't go to school because she's too shy. Right. So, yeah. So (laughs) otherwise, uh, yeah. So otherwise, Joe and Meg ostensibly – should have gone like they should have been in school or gone through school but they have to earn right oh yes yes so they they've got to make money and so but that's exceptional like it does seem like it it is pretty normative that they would go through high school yeah i mean yeah they they yeah so the intention is that they would go to school Mm -hmm. um and the intention is that amy goes to school right 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 not does a bunch of so you either have a governess or you go to school mm-hmm. but does so so does religious teaching it doesn't replace that but does it sort of like serve as a i don't know like as a supplement or something to official training yeah definitely it's it's all bound up together and the thing is that so when you talk about when you talk about education in this in this novel you are so you're talking about like do they go to school that's one thing you're also talking about the novel itself as educational right so there's like a lot going on when you when you ask questions about what the characters and what the characters are doing it's like they're doing these specific things and they're often doing like kind of kind of vague things they're sort of like these vague like what you just said which is like oh i don't really recognize anybody as a character except for joe yeah well like yeah yeah because we're like kind of because like we're tipping into allegory for a very good reason and that's because girls read the so when girls read the book you want to be able to apply this stuff to your life in some way so the idea is not that you say like no one's saying like I'm an Amy, but you can identify some things about yourself that are like Amy. Right. Totally. No, but and I- that her sort of like what we think of as her class aspiration or her, you know, there's this whole scene where she 
you know, Aunt March, who is their rich, mean auntie who explicitly really likes Amy, but secretly really likes Joe too, gives her a ring and she's like super like into it, but Marmy won't let her wear it because it's inappropriate. Yeah. Oh, this is Tristan. Did you want to say something about no, that? No, this is super fucking. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I no, I, 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 um, I do think that like the reason like Joe clearly my favorite, and then Amy way down the list. My, even though I think she's a psycho and disgusting in many ways, my second favorite, <laughs> like well, well above Beth and Meg, is because like Joe, full novelistic character. Amy Absolutely. allegorical up to a point, mm-hmm. but the thing is, like she, like the the things that are gross about her, like be like the sub, super subservient to rich people and all that. The novel does not agree with Amy's like world outlook, right? But by doing so, like it kind of that like that tension kind of gives her like a psychological richness that I do. Th- it's like oh okay, but I could kind of I could kind of read this like less as a type than say like Megan Beth. Um, and more is like, yeah, she sucks, but like, at least she's kind of interesting <laughs> to watch. You know what I mean? Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing that's important about her is also she sucks in a way that a little kid sucks. Yes. Totally. And so that's how you identify with her is not as a character, as as a grown up, but you recognize that the, the bullshit that she mm-hmm. does, even like the worst stuff she does, is because she doesn't get little how bad kid it shit. is. Yeah. yeah. No, I, yeah, I just, I, I definitely want to talk about that calls chapter where like Amy and Joe like really have at it. It's like, I mean, there's a lot I love about it, but I think it's one of the funniest moments where Joe does like fancy girl drag. Yes. Yeah. 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 So it's, and she's like, actually, I know all about this. So let me be gossipy and silly. And Amy's like, you fucking douchebag i can't believe you like so yes. turned this on me <laughs> so yeah so i mean if you guys want to talk about that that uh, chapter a little bit just it's the best just to set the scene yeah, so it's totally. in the second part um uh, the, book two and basically like yeah like amy is like joe i she need, she wants to go visiting to suck rich people's asses basically and and like <laughs> her sure. other sisters i think are bu- well meg's married and beth is pale um, and so, and because Beth is alive. Also, Beth is in love with Lori, and that's sort of like a. It's dropped in in this very strange way. Yeah. Oh wait, it really is she? Well, Joe thinks so. She says Beth loves Lori at this point. This is before Joe has friend zoned him. Mm-hmm. Also, before he and Amy get bond and then they get married. And so, like, he's a weird character because, like. I find him much more interest charming in the first half of the novel when he's like one of the guys, like mm-hmm. like a sibling. And then once he's mm-hmm. like, I gotta go around Europe like motorboating people and being edumacated. Yeah. Then he's a sh- <laughs> he's a total shithead. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Okay. There's one point there's a fucking hilarious thing that he says in the very beginning of the book, which is um like I wanna go to I wanna go to Italy and and like live how I want to live. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. do you like what sex thing do you mean by yeah, that? Right. Oh totally. yeah, no, totally, totally. And unfortunately, probably something extremely boring. But <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, the uh, yeah yeah. So so the um so okay so yeah so so Beth, Beth and Meg can't go on this little like ass sucking expedition <laughs> that, that Amy is orchestrating. <laughs> so she's like, Joe, you have to come with me. And Joe's like, Oh my god. Um and and yeah. So I, I'll just like because I there I mainly want to read this this one line of Joe's that I think is because Meg gets the holiest of rewards, which is two babies. Yes, that's right. Two twins. Yes, and and uh, and the most yeah. boring husband uh, imaginable, which this book thinks is great. Um, like, that's terrible. 
at this yes the same exact age yeah uh okay so so this chapter starts uh come joe it's time joe says for what hey amy you don't you don't mean <laughs> to say you have forgotten that you promised to make half a dozen calls with me today joe I've done a good many rash and foolish things in my life, but I don't think I ever was mad enough to say I'd make six calls in one day when a single one upsets me for a week. <laughs> and so then, Amy, right. So it's like, yeah, I, so I, I, I like if Joe did agree to this, it was because she was like in the middle of writing and Amy's like, Joe, will you come do this? She's like, yeah, go away. <laughs> but, totally. But, yeah. but so yeah so then what joe does is she's like all right i'm gonna so amy and amy's like because like this this is the this is the sister who doesn't doesn't get how you're supposed to suck rich people's asses uh so she like tries to school her like okay so the, this, this couple are like really into like if you're very proper and so then joe like she just sits there and doesn't say anything the whole visit it's like right. amazing. um <laughs> but yeah but but so, but then so like I guess what it, it is hilarious. So Amy's like, can you say shit? Like, can you try? Yes. Yes. And then, so the next thing, yeah. like Joe just like does this ridiculous over the top, like super friendly and just tells all these embarrassing stories about Amy and shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, and then, and so like, so this is where the chapter pisses me. It is hilarious. Like I, I, I like, I love Joe the most in this chapter, but like, so they go to their asshole rich aunts and Joe is like done with it at this point. Like she's like, I just want to go home. And like, so she's. I think one of the ads like, oh, like, don't you like to speak French? And Joe's like, no, French is stupid, and I hate it. And so then the and then so then the ad is like, hmm, well, I guess I won't be taking you to Europe. And like, so like the the whole chapter is like, I I think, and really the book is like much more like Joe is right. Uh, like you're not supposed yeah. to just suck rich people's asses. Like Amy is being super gross. And yet, like, Joe gets punished for, like, kind of um, doing something about that. Like, being like, yeah, I'm just going to be a dick because fuck you people. And Amy, the suck ass, gets this great reward. Um, Mm -hmm. And and so, like, yeah, that, like, kind of pisses me off. And I don't quite know what to think the novel wants us to do with this uh, happenstance. here's, Here's the thing. Amy is absolutely being a shithead. You are 100% correct. However, Joe is expressing a correct opinion in just like a really unnecessarily cunty way. Yes. And so you don't get like, so you don't get rewarded for that because that's not a good lesson. Right. You know, like she said she would, whether or not she was bamboozled into it, (laughs) she said she would do something and then acted like a turd about it. So then you don't like get, you don't get something for that. Which we love about her because we're like normal people. But I think the reader loves that too, even though it's like you're, you, you're, you know, begrudgingly. But I think that like that's part of Jill Joe's whole vibe is that it's like she has to in some ways act against her impulse. Yeah. That's the whole thing. Is that that's her whole le- like Joe's whole lesson. Everyone has yeah. a lesson they're supposed yeah, to learn. Yeah, no, no totally. And Joe's whole Joe's whole lesson is to fucking control herself. Yeah. Right. And she doesn't <clears throat> do it. But so that like and you know what, like that I, absolutely. I mean I think that that is the that, that is the lesson that 
book wants you to draw for it from it. And I would just say that I like the, the degree to which this is like an extremely bourgeois object. Um, like it, it, it is no yeah. more oh, like yeah. it is no more on the surface of me there than exactly that, because it's like essentially like the lesson is like, you know, basically go, yeah, like shit sucks, but don't rock the boat too much. And don't be, tell people to, you know what I mean? It's like, it acknowledges the ways in which like social conventions are dumb. It wants to like sort of celebrate Joe, um, kind of self one freedom from that by not giving a shit. But at the same time, it wants to pull you back. You know, it, it wants to set firm limits on the way in which you can like act out or in the way in which you can reject these structures that it is also often critical of as well. Well, and that's why also, she gets that lesson from her mom really early about like her mom is tells her, look, I'm actually the same way in a lot mm-hmm. of senses, right? Like, I, lo- I love to spout off at people and be a real bitch when I was young. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I figured they out how p- not pissed. to do it. Right, right. Well, and here's the other thing, too, to keep in mind. It's like, okay, so when you read the book, you're like, holy shit, this is so sucky. Like, Joe is cool as hell, and she doesn't get to do this thing because Amy is a kiss mm-hmm. ass. Yeah. But it's important to keep in mind that it's not like, Joe, you've been rude. Now we're going to cut the tip of your pinky off. <laughs> it's like, you don't get to go on a fancy European vacation. And in, and in fairness, I also kind of do think Joe would have fucking hated that trip. Because, like, what do they do in Europe? They yeah. hang out with fancy rich people, like, doing stupid right. shit, you know? like Joe thought yeah. it was going to be something very different than what it ends up being. yeah. yeah. Totally. But like, uh, but you know that that's what it's going to be. I mean, if you've read the book, you know that's what it's going to be. No, totally. Um, Well, and it's not like, uh, okay, this is just something that I happen to think, but I don't know if it's right, which is that like, look, sometimes good things happen to shitty people and you really got to like not think that everything is going to come down your way. And like, Amy doesn't you know, her lesson is different. She doesn't, she plays the game and that sometimes works out for people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also like, okay, so it's not just that she's being a kiss ass. She definitely is. But it's also the thing, there's a part of that chapter where she says to Joe, she's like, listen, our old bitch aunt, like just really likes it when we do this. Mm -hmm. So let's just fucking do it, please. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, just be nice. But she's the one who's taken care of her too, you know? It's like, I feel like Joe really gets shafted out of proportion to her, like, being kind of a butt. Well, Joe has taken care of her, but Amy, uh, so when Beth gets scarlet fever, Amy has to live with the aunt. Mm -hmm. And that is like the rawest of raw raw deals. And Amy really behaves herself. Like, she, like, tries real hard. She always behaves herself. Except around her sisters when she, like, sets shit on fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But that's sort of, like, the big change is when she goes to live with her aunt, Mm. I think. And it goes back to the thing that you mentioned earlier with the ring. The aunt gives her this turquoise Mm -hmm. ring. And um, the mom is like, you're like a kid. You can't wear expensive jewelry, dumbass. Like, you have to stick it onto yourself with, like, a special thing because you're that little finger is too small. Yeah, like, I, what do you think? I actually yeah. forgot about that scene. Yeah. Well, that's really that's re- like a really interesting moment for a lot of reasons. Number one is that the Amy is like, I want to wear this ring, so when I look at it, 
I it, it's a reminder to to me to be mm-hmm. good. Like this girl right. in this book I That's read, you know, bullshit. had a necklace. It, and the mom says, like, well, I think probably this is bullshit, but she also says, like, okay, she li- she hears her out. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and she's like, okay, mm-hmm. right. I mean, the mom is always like on their side, right? Like she's always doing the sort of like she's very uh, sympathetic to their foibles because they can't you know they're not doing anything that bad they have she has to be she has to be nice about it mm-hmm. <laughs> you're right well they're also not doing anything that bad because she's so good is yeah the, you know that's the other yeah right because she's been doing yeah. this awesome like, training since yeah. they were little if you yeah yeah if you if you just run your your you know bourgeois household right your petty bourgeois household right then your children will be this lovely you know uh, and you're, you might your 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 daughter might die of paleness, but you know you will be rewarded right. in other ways. <laughs> you don't even need to have the father around doing the sort of like rigid didacticism if you have sufficient training. And the father is never around. Right. Like yes, for the whole first right. book, he's away being a chaplain in the army, and then he gets sick because that's what he does. And that, but then the second book, he's back, and he is still like the most like he never shows no, up. He's basically. just and, and, like, and, you know, just yeah. completely like I mean like just useless like to like to the extent like i mean even so, it was the uh that i thought was hilarious like when joe is starting to write and she's like i don't know dad what do you think i should do with these they are quite good you should try to sell them oh but i'm worried they're not good enough. <laughs> right. they are not yet good enough you should wait until they are <laughs> yeah but but i could but i could make money dad if i did this i think that you should say you know he's just like he just reads the newspaper by the fire and has a beard yeah. it's like what, he what? you want <laughs> and then yo the novel makes sure oh. to remind us though like right before i think the second book like nah dude but it's not like the home wasn't run by him. Like we really still have this, you know, nobody's emasculating him, yeah. but it's like two sentences. Yeah, no, it's just I know, like, no, totally. just remember that it's not like bad in that way. I mean, and, and I do think that like one, one of the ways in which like, I, you know, I like politically, I'm like, th- yeah, this is kind of cool is the degree to which like all spaces in this are like very like kind of feminine spaces. And that, and it doesn't, it doesn't mm-hmm. like, but it's you know, very domestic. It is very domestic. Yes. And it, and, and even when the father brought, comes back in that is not like then the reposition of patriarchy over this it's you know what i mean right yeah i think that in this book you can't conflate the domestic with the mm. feminine or like you can in a way you can't mm-hmm. usually mm-hmm. what does that mean i don't i don't understand so tristan is saying like well they're these highly feminized spaces and then you're saying, which is also right. Well, they're the they're they're these highly domestic spaces, but those two things don't usually always go together. Right. Oh, I see. Okay. In the same way they do in this book, right? Well, yeah, and well, I, they're and I guess not what, like absent men. That I th- I feel like is quite interesting. Yeah. Well, and I guess it too. What I said, like uh, highly feminized. I, what, I, what I'm what I'm saying is that like th- like all spaces that this novel's interested, many of which are domestic spaces, but not exclusively, like. The feminine is always what is kind of like sort of uh, kind of taking charge and 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 being the focus, right? It's not like like e- even in those moments where like like I don't know, like when Joe and uh, Smokey the Bear <laughs> like start like that he he's like older and so he's like teaching her, but it's like I don't know, it's like it, like that might be one of the moments where like kind of patriarchy is coming closest to like reasserting itself. But even there, I just it, it's very fleeting and it very quickly goes back to Joe's perspective and like what you know what i mean mm-hmm. well we have to let her have a certain length 
of leash, right? Like you can't, it would be so upsetting if Joe were not allowed in some ways to have her flaws. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she can't like run off and join the circus, <laughs> but, <laughs> but we understand that she gets to do, she gets to have a, she's not Meg. Mm-hmm, right. Yeah, and like she's talking to her mom at the beginning and she's like, you know, Beth is good and I, and I'm Joe and that's what I always mm, am. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm just Joe. Like that's that's the essential. I, I'm the meanest of me. Yeah, you know, it's just something. and it's what we love. That's why I mean, it's not a threat to the novel's moral order that she is the way that she is, and that we as readers are like, I feel like her because mm-hmm. it's bringing out that we can be like angry, vindictive, little shits, but. You know, she's not Huck Finn. She doesn't do anything that's like of an act, at least for me, of like an actual moral (laughs) question. Right. There's nothing that she does that you're just like, holy shit, like you really have to think about what this means for this structurally. Like there's no, it's just thinking so differently about the social order. For instance, when Amy burns her manuscript, she doesn't doesn't murder her. her. (laughs) No, no. um, but and so okay, so so actually, that that thinking differently, like that raises another thing that we were sort of like talking about beforehand. And I actually, I think I have some different perspectives on this, which I do like. So, what do like in terms of like sexuality, her relation to gender roles? How do we think the novel constructs Joe? And also, as like twenty first century readers, how do we want to read her? Um, I mean, I do think that there's like a long and really rich tradition of like. When I say the lesbian character, I very much put that in quotation marks, not that she's like sexually attracted to women, Mm -hmm. but that she gets to have like uh, a certain lovely kind of butchiness that we find really appealing and that that is something that calls out to certain readers as as being appealing. It's everything George Sand ever wrote. Mm -hmm. It's... Uh, you know, that's that's a recognizable tradition. Mm-hmm. And she's a part of it. And that's, you know, she's so different in that sense from Elizabeth Bennett, who's like at no, you know, there is a romantic entanglement that is at the center of that book. Mm-hmm. It's not ever sort of like lateral to the plot, mm-hmm. where I think Joe's getting married is a little bit like, you know, she's going to marry a dude who's not going to like, keep her in a cage. But you know, it's not that yeah. important. <laughs> no, and, and and Elizabeth Bennett is yeah. is, a, is a good sort of uh, counter example because I do with Joe she shares a sort of certain refusal to like uh, to see the world in a way or or conform to. But unlike some of Austen's other characters and some of her heroines, where I do think that there you can do a sort of like you know really interesting kind of queer reading or queer potential there. Um, yeah. I do, Elizabeth, I don't think that that is the case at all. With uh, whereas I don't I don't think so either. Yeah. No, she she's she's horny for so Elizabeth Bennett in Pride and Prejudice is horny for Mr. Mm-hmm. Darcy for sure. from yeah. the get go. Yeah. She just needs to come to recognize her own horniness that has been with her mm-hmm. all along. The horniness you were looking yes. for was inside <laughs> yes. of you. Yes. And it is along. that thing that I still feel like is a part of our like sort of love for her, which is that he's like you're kind of a bitch, but I really want to marry you mm-hmm. and Mm-hmm. It's not that Joe's being kind of a bitch is like, you know, the tension of – it, it is the tension <laughs> of the novel, but not for the reason that men don't want to marry her. Right, <laughs> right. For a totally different yeah. reason. Yeah. 
Yeah. Which is that she right. has to keep her bitchiness in a certain command yeah. in order to like operate in a moral sense and not yeah. just in a but not just in a moral sense of like marrying the right dude. That's like that's secondary yeah. to the moral sense of like well, being a decent sister yeah. and mm-hmm. like operating in general in a way that's like kind because she is like a killer good sister i yeah, think no i absolutely yeah. i mean she like she is the only one of these four that i would want to be like a have as a sibling you know yeah <laughs> i mean actually i don't think meg is like a bad sibling she, yeah. like, no, she would of, be fine she yeah, would you know she would be there on time and get stuff done you know but, and she yeah. does have like a very strong oldest sibling vibe yeah. of like i just gotta make sure all these people are okay but yeah yeah, like listen, if you were at a party and barfing your face off, Meg would come pick right. you up. For sure. You She'd know? hold your hair like, back. Oh, it, and I was just yes. the, the, like the degree to which like um Joe get, and and uh, Kate, I think something you were saying was that you kind of you sort of more read Joe as like kind of asexual. Not even a like not even asexual, just that that's beyond that sexuality itself is totally beyond okay. the scope of this book because it's a children's no, yeah, it's and for, that's totally. But I'm not really talking about sexuality. I'm talking no, about no, no, gender. No, I yeah, I I no, I I, yeah. I yes, I no, I know that. I, I was just kind of like sort of like distinguishing like how she like differs from like an Elizabeth Bennett's type. Um, oh yeah, and yeah, and, yeah. and be- yeah, because, because like sort of to go to go along with what both of you guys are saying, like. I do think that like, okay, so like went to the degree to which she is pulled back into a sort of, you know, 19th century, like heteronormativity, which again, I think is, is somewhat separate from questions of, of, uh, of, of sexuality, just sexuality is its own thing. Um, who does she, who does she marry? She marries probably the least eroticizable person in yes, the entire book, yes. Smokey the Bear. Yes. He's just this old, very yes. nice German dude who kind of has a Santa Claus vibe to him. You know? No, there's like, no like <laughs> tall, big dick Darcy yep. who you're just like, yeah. He sounds steamy. Like, no, no, there's no, No. there's no like sexuality to have repressed. No, like even, so even the boring ass tutor that Meg marries, at least you think like he's so, he's so broody that maybe he's Mm -hmm. a freak. Yeah, 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 Like maybe. I'll I'll leave that possibility open. Yeah. But Joe just like, yeah, Mr. Mr. Yeah. Bear, yes. <laughs> like I do, and you are right that, that uh, yeah, it's a children's book, so like, kind of sexuality is beyond the question. But like, that uh, or not, not part of it. But you know, like with like the way some of the like like um, attraction for Laurie and like the Amy Laurie romance. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's not like super hot and heavy, but it's like it's much more <laughs> within like, oh, this is like a romance that I'm reading than um, than other. You know, so it's like I don't, oh, I, yeah, for sure. I don't think that that sort of like sexuality is entirely absent from the book. I just think that like Joe's no. sort of like gender performance and, and, and her relationship to the world and others. It's just, it's not part of her um, kind of. I agree. But I also like sort of want to like signpost that Katie, you're so right. This is the sentimental novel has its own sort of like, uh, you know, it gets the clean tag, right? And like children's <laughs> children's literature always gets the well, it's actually not true that children's literature always gets the clean tag, but this book does. No. But that's not a universal to mid nineteenth century US literature, in the sense that Moby Dick might be the steamiest book I've ever read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. No, oh, yeah. yeah, it's not a nineteenth century. It's thing. a nineteenth it's not a nineteenth century thing at yeah. all. And I do think we just have to flag that. Like this is not just a standard of the moment. No. 
No. But here's the other thing that's super important to keep in mind is it's not just that it's a children's novel. It's not that it's a 19th century novel. It is that it's a Christian yeah. novel. Yeah. So if you yeah, read yeah. if you read something like Charles Sheldon's In His Steps, which is the What Would Jesus Do novel, no like there's no there's no sucking or fucking in that you know like obviously <laughs> right. like we're not right. we're not there yeah. um but that's not so, even like it's a christian uh pedagogical novel right it's not like yes there are novels about about christ or about like religion that are still very very steamy they're mm-hmm. just like they're that's of a different genre entirely they're not like christian End in time. their intention mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a different genre and a different time. So this, so this type of uh, this kind of nineteenth, early twentieth century Christian literature is didactic. It yeah. all yeah. is. So that it's it's not like today where it's where it's like yeah, you have like some. There's like a whole series of quite horny novels about the mm. Amish uh, <laughs> that are Christian novels, right. you know. But but these are like these are today. This is not like. We're not. This is not 1868 yeah. that we're talking about. Like, right? Someone's got a boner. <laughs> no, this is, nor is it Paradise Lost, which is like big dick yeah. Satan. Big dick Satan. Satan. Some some degree of heavy breathing. Yeah. The oh, the one thing I want wanted to talk about just very quickly, if related to Joe and related to sexuality and courting and marriage and just all that whole cluster of things is when Me- she's so grossed out by the fact that uh what is I can't, John what is, John John Brooke when Meg and John Brooke start like getting a little like cuz Lori sends that other. mean note well even before that they're they're doing a little camping trip and they're like lounging about and um and they kind of get a little hot yeah. for each other yeah, yeah, yeah. uh but no, right. but not really uh what john brooke does is he takes meg's glove and keeps it and i find that Lori, creepy, yeah it's honestly. weird it's oh, real weird holy shit <laughs> joe's reaction to that is like totally correct because Lori's like ha ha it's not funny that that he took your sister's glove and i'm just like no it's not funny that he's like sniffing her yeah, glove exactly. privately yeah. it's weird yeah it's creepy yeah and gr- and gross it's gross it's creepy that guy in general just oh god their marriage just sounds so crushingly boring and awful like <laughs> he comes <laughs> like yeah i mean it's it's very i mean it is like well and, and also it, it is kind of interesting because it's like the the sort of like 1950s fantasy of the nuclear family with the sole breadwinner and all that like the meg um john brooke relationship is really kind of an early moment of sort of producing that kind of vibe you know like she draws his name all over her notebook yeah Mrs. Mrs. John, John Brooke, Brooke, she writes. For real. Yeah. And then they have this conflict that we know is like Meg's lesson, which is that like she spends too much money on something. Right. Yeah. She spends $50 right? That's on her crisis. silk for a dress, which does, I think, is quite a lot of money <laughs> from the 1860s. Yeah, it's a lot of money. <laughs> uh, and, a lot of money, yeah. you know, and of course she feels terrible about it, but that's like, you know, that's her in comparison to Amy, who's like, she spends money on clothes too, but she gets a rich husband. Right. Right. Because her yeah. crisis is different. Yeah. Well, Amy is also like 666 Hail Satan. I just burned your manuscript. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. 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 Uh, Except that, but like, also- she's, you know, 
we certainly recognize that there's a certain sweetness in her, even though she behaves like a little kid. Yeah, totally. And like, even though, you know, Joe and Laurie have this kind of uh, things, things change between them. Right. Let's say uh, Joe, partially because she's older, but partially because it's not Meg, it's Amy doesn't have the same. So when, when Meg is going to marry John Brooke, Joe is like, fuck this. This is gross. I wish I could marry Meg and keep her in the family. Oh, which totally. is like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But I think it's also that Meg is the most like wifey. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah, no by far of 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 of, of any of them. Um because she does all that care. Yeah. It, well, right. All through the novel. Yes. And then and then like what what like and then the second half of the novel, she's like, you know, her her like sort of adventures include making jelly and failing at, you know, like and <laughs> failing at it. What a terrible yeah. thing. Like I wifed really bad yeah. because my <laughs> jelly didn't uh didn't set. Although I will like now I feel like that's the most hypocritical I've ever been because on three different occasions in my life I've tried to make mozzarella. And, <laughs> and and failed at yeah. it and once i threw my like mushy failure ball across the kitchen uh, and my husband came in and he was like oh the cheese didn't set <laughs> <laughs> yep and this has now become like a yeah. uh, uh, uh for like anger in our family is like oh the cheese didn't set Yep, crying about cheese. Crying about cheese. So it is like the same thing, but I think that her frustration is that she didn't fix it for her family in the wife way, mm-hmm. not just like, I fucked up the cheese and I'm a failure. Yeah. <laughs> and, but when Joe Joe also has a cooking fail uh, <laughs> oh, it's earlier like so in the novel. Sweet. Yeah. I love yeah. that story. Yeah. Which is, it, but it's just like it goes like way more like it gets it's like zany. bananas. It's it's zany as fuck. She like she like accidentally takes a shit in the in the <laughs> dessert. Like it's just like fall. that's like an I love Lucy bit though. No, that's is. what I mean by like yes. zany is that it's like you salted the strawberries. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But here's a here's another thing though. So Meg is the most wifey of wives. She's queen queen wife, but. She also has this stuff going on too where like Joe is um so when Beth is sick, they're like, who's gonna take care of her? And oh, it's either Joe. gonna be Meg. Yeah, it's Joe, but there's a they they have a conversation about it. And they say, is it gonna be Meg or is it gonna be Joe? And Beth is like, I yeah. want Joe yeah. for sure. Right. And and Meg is like, oh, that's a relief because I actually don't like nursing and and Joe does. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I I I love that bit, right? Because it's like she I don't know. It's something it's a difference between like performative care and sincere care. Yeah. yeah. And only pure of heart Beth is the person who can recognize that. Like nobody else can recognize that. Well, it's also because Beth and Joe, uh, as my therapist would say, are merged mm. in a way that I think. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> which uh, shout out to Stuart. Uh, I think that it's it's unhealthy, but but we're I can't even. I'm like being a being a nutcase even talking about it that way because because Joe says, which is actually true in the terms of the novel, that Beth is not actually a character. Beth is just Joe's conscience. Oh, I totally – I think that's totally right. I mean, now that makes it sound a little nuts that she dies, but I wonder if she dies because Joe has grown her own. Like, she's internalized it sufficiently. Yeah, okay. 
Yeah. No, I think that's like dead on. And I also think so. There's two things. There's two reasons why she dies, in my humble opinion, uh, that I'm stating very unequivocally. The first is that Joe doesn't, Joe has developed her own conscience, doesn't need her anymore. The second reason is that so we're doing Pilgrim's Progress. And actually, Beth has made it to the end. Mm-hmm. So, oh, what she got there. The yeah, she won. She yeah, won the she game. got there. And also, th- and also, third, third reason, she's pale, right? Like, she, right. <laughs> like, yes, <laughs> overarching. No, I most importantly, I I know that she actually dies of scarlet fever because I just read this novel again. But basically, for the last twenty five years, I thought she had died of TB because that is the form of tragic death in the nineteenth century novel. Right. <laughs> well, she gets scarlet fever substantially yep. before, but that like weakened her system. Or scarlet fever, one of those diseases that like can kind of. It, like it's it comes back okay. it's like shingles it like can it's because it's the um it's what happens if you get untreated strep throat ah uh, okay oh, lovely it's the no it's shit. the return of that bug that that's not it's not like if you have something like polio that like you're immune to it but it's it the viruses can be reactivated yeah, great lovely but, this also like vaccinate this, this your is my kids, PSA <laughs> for for treat your strep throat. Treat your strep throat. Vaccinate your kids. You fucking oh for sure. Vaccinate your Marin kids. Marin County yes. disastrous people. <laughs> but, but people can do get it strep throat. Like yes. that do vaccine doesn't. Make no, sense. because it's a bacterium, right? No, no. Just don't. But, but let it. Just don't. You know, if you need antibiotics, take your antibiotics and take your full course. That's our medicine PSA we, on we can, better we, at the day. Yeah. But just because we're talking about the scarlet fever thing, it's super important th- that Beth gets scarlet fever because she goes to this family's house. To take the care of the baby. To take care of the baby because her sisters yes. won't do it because they're being yes. lazy. And so she yes. goes and the baby dies in her arms and that's her moment of growing up and it eventually is yes, what kills right. her. Because she can because she pilgrims progresses it, right? Like she Yes. She does the thing that no they're such babies about it too. It's like a great part where they're like, I don't yeah. think like No, that is that is a really yeah. great point. Um yeah, it's like it's, it's her the act of Christian charity is what kills her and also her sister's refusal to do the act of Christian charity, which kills her. Which they also do have to feel terribly guilty about for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Yeah. And they, as you should, Amy, Amy says, like, she will cut off all her hair if Beth dies. She doesn't. (laughs) P.S. Because this is like, this is, this this is a funny version of this novel's like sacrifice is like cutting off all your hair. Yeah, yeah, that's Joe, what Joe yeah. does to give her mom money. Is she cuts her hair off, and she's like, "It was the one thing that made me hot," and I cut it Except off. Except then she gets to have boy boy haircut, and we're all like, "Boy haircut does great stuff for Joe." Yes, but Joe also cries about it. She does cry bed. about she's it. Like, yeah, secret, secretly. Yeah, their dad is like di- like possibly yes. dying and uh and so Meg wakes up and Joe is crying and she's like a uh, Joe, are you crying about papa? And she's like, <laughs> I go, I'm crying about yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, It's just like, Joe, funny. what a sweetie though. Like, I just love yeah, her. She's the best. She's the yeah. best. I really do. And, and no, and Meg is like, I'm awake because I'm horny. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. Katie, what's our like, what's our uh, closer? 
Okay, so something a little different today because we have a thing going on here that is really interesting for a lot of reasons. And I thought we would have fail dad <laughs> corner because cool. the Mar- the March dad is like kind of absent and a little bit pointless. And so actually that I don't know what the two of you know about Bronson Alcott, but holy shit. <laughs> Not much. Give us the Wowie. give us the two minutes. Okay, so just just re- just react how you feel um, when you hear this shit. He's not uh, Mary Shelley's dope ass dad. He is not Mary Shelley's dope ass dad by a long shot. So <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people read the the semi useless but like decent ish dad as a burn on oh, Bronson Alcott okay. by Louise May Alcott because. He was a stone cold weirdo <laughs> and also like a slightly sicko, but not like a really bad sicko. So, <laughs> so two things just to know. And the first one, um, just if you have any hot takes, please, please share. The first one is so Bronson Alcott was a big education guy, let's say. And so he started this school where he just like did a lot of weird bullshit. And one of the weird bullshit things that he did was when the kids would do something bad, he didn't hit the kids. No, no. He did something much worse. He made the kids hit him. <laughs> oh, Jesus <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's one part like – forcing children to be cruel and also one part potentially sex yeah yeah yes okay and so louisa may alcott in little men writes about Uh this and i would like to uh just share that with you because it is transcendently fucked up yeah that is super just just beyond So in Little Men, which is 1886, uh, and it follows Joe and her creation of the school. Um, So this kid does something bad, right? And um, here's what happens. And it's her her husband, who I refuse to pronounce his name properly, so I call him Mr. Bear. As as the hitting is going on, right? Then he, the child, stopped and looked up half blind with tears. But Mr. Bear said steadily, go on and strike harder. As if seeing that it must be done and eager to have the hard task soon over, Nat drew his sleeve across his eyes and drew two more hard strokes that reddened the hand, yet hurt the giver more. Isn't that enough, he asked in a breathless sort of tone. Two more was all the answer. And he gave them, hardly seeing where they fell, then threw the rule across the room, and hugging the kind hand in both of his, lay his face down on it, sobbing out in a passion of love, shame, and penitence. That is fucked up. That is fucked up and, like, kind of Catholic-y. Yeah. 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 So this is the dad. So this is, like, this is Louisa May Alcott's fucking dad. Cool. Yeah, Um, not awesome as William Godwin at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? No, not even a little bit. Like, go be a revolutionary, my love. (laughs) No, we're having, like, we're having a a different (laughs) thing happen here. The other thing is not so – so for a chaser, just a quick chaser, 
the other thing he did was make this hilarious ass fail utopia <laughs> called f- called Fruitlands. Oh, <laughs> but it sounds so nice. It well, wait until you hear more about it because you're not going to say that by the end of okay. this. Okay. Okay, and so the other thing that's hysterical is Ralph Waldo Emerson, this thing just like failed. Nobody wanted to join it. So Emerson kept like giving them money and giving them money. That's right. And he, yeah. y- yep. Mm-hmm. And he, well, Ralph Waldo Emerson was a yeah. pay pig. And so he just King, kept, King you know, son yeah. Waldo. Yes. He he kept giving him money and called him a tedious <laughs> archangel. <laughs> that's pretty, <laughs> ooh, that's a sick burn. That's real. That's a sick burn. Okay, so here was some of the shit that was up with Fruitlands. Utopian community, in the loosest sense of the term. <laughs> uh, he he wanted it to be, it, he was like, I'm going to make yeah. Eden, which is oh, a yeah. perfect idea. Great. And there's a really good, <laughs> there's a really good book called Eden's Outcast about it. And so the thing is, they were just like vegan dumpster divers, basically. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they uh, had to do all the farming without exploiting animals. So they they were veg- they were vegetarians and they weren't allowed to drink cow's milk because that's for the cows and they only ate vegetables that grew upward. <laughs> so they couldn't eat Not, potatoes. Yes, they only ate vegetables that grew upward, and they only took cold baths oh. because. Of- like this is like even beyond fucking oh, Kellogg, yeah, no. like yes. like hump the cornflakes so that you don't do anything worse. Right, tie your wiener like, to your leg. Oh, no, this is like this is like yeah. I mean, there 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 is a lot. There is an awful lot of like not acknowledged like kink happening in all of this. You know what I oh, mean? Oh yeah. <laughs> so this is like just to just for my information, like they can't use beasts of burden. So they can't like plow their fields? No. They they have to do it by hand. This is insane. Yeah. This is like man. Yeah. I don't even American know how fucked up, man. Like, <laughs> they're fucked up except that like their commitment to utopian communities is endlessly fascinating it is. and, and, and it amazing is. especially because some of them are like free love yeah. they're the opposite no, of this right no it is and it, it, it yes it, it is uh it yeah. is amazing but um wow fucking wackest place on earth okay so they but can't they have to they have to plant seeds themselves and uh, and they can't eat carrots and they, they they can't eat anything good no they can't eat anything good they they can't do shit i mean uh, like uh, I the 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 problem is that my mind so so next episode will return to questions as normal but my question it, my mind has been so warped that my question is just like uh, what ha- no <laughs> <laughs> right mm. yeah true like fucking Bronson I am feeling like a tremendous amount of gratitude to a certain aging leftist Jewish retired public health professor right now. <laughs> yeah. 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 I no. bet. Like, this is pretty, I'm like, thanks Martin. No, like, totally. Thank yeah. You. <laughs> no, this is, yeah, that we, yeah, definitely feel pretty good about my parents right now. <laughs> like no weird, like, no, you have to beat me. Uh, that is so fucked up. It's just, 
That's so fucked up. It is bananas, bananas ass fucked. Um, the other weird thing is that uh, the two of them died like simultaneously. Like the Louisa May Alcott and Bronson Alcott? Yeah. Hey. Bronson? Yes. So Bronson Alcott is dying and he's like, and Louisa May Alcott goes to visit him and he, and she's like, what, what's going on, pops? <laughs> and he's like, I'm, I'm going up. I'm going to heaven. Won't you join me? What the fuck? Yerp. And then two days later, she died. How did she die? She, uh, she got, like fell into a coma. She was sick before that and okay. fell into a coma. She beffed it. Okay. She beffed it so, right on out. But okay. she was, she was older. Right. Oh, she was okay. Because it just made it sad. You know, you don't normally people don't barely outlive their parents. Normally, people's parents don't say like, "Shall we die together?" <laughs> right. That I mean, there's a lot about Bronson Alcott that seems low grade insane. Yeah. No, high yeah, grade insane. Yeah, no, nothing low grade about any of this. <laughs> uh, no, he is high key psycho. I also think that I will allow my children to eat vegetables that grow down. Will Will you allow them to die at the time of the pointed hour of their choosing? <laughs> <laughs> um is that a thing people can do apparently well, I, I mean i will not beg them on my deathbed to come with me good that's talk, like they i mean talk. that that sounds like parenting 101 right there like don't don't <laughs> ask your child to die yeah uh yeah don't in, don't invite your child to climb the stairway to heaven with you. No, that's. I mean, did they? Did he have like a flock of other kids that he mentally abused? Uh yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Also, he was he was always after his wife because he thought she wasn't parenting. Good oh enough. yeah, well he definitely has the credentials to weigh in on that. Like, uh. yeah, yeah, yeah. He knows. He knows. So anyway, thank you yeah. for yeah. our introduction to. Bronson Alcott and our, uh, I think, common gratitude yeah. to our n- not mean that was, dads. That was fascinating. That was fascinating. Cool. So this has been Better Red Than Dead. You can find Tristan on Twitter at TJ Schweiger. You can find Katie on Twitter at Katie Crywo. You can find me on Twitter at Tusslersaurus. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Better Red Pod, R-E-A-D. And email us at betterredpodcast at gmail.com, but only if you are the wifiest of all your siblings. (laughs) Our intro song is Love Bronstein by the Redskins, used with their permission. Our logo was created by Jane Bonsack of JB Design and Content. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. We swear we will soon be talking about Ulysses, which we have much telegraphed. But first up, we have a three-week spooky pants Halloween extravaganza Fright Fest. We are, I think all three of us, extremely jazzed (laughs) about this. Um, (laughs) Yes. You'll love it. So yeah, thanks. Thanks.